0: Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense,
1: and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to the show. Richard Ryerson here. Welcome to Dose of Leadership. Happy you're tuning in, as always. Thank you for being a fan of the show. Great conversation today. I'm excited to get Jonathan and Melissa Nightingale on the show. They are the founders and partners of Raw Signal Group, and they're the editor of a great blog called The Copor. And they're the best-selling author of a brand new book that I cannot wait to get my hands on. It's called How Effed Up Is Your Management? An uncomfortable conversation about modern leadership. Jonathan and Melissa. Have been in the tech industry for quite some time. Jonathan has built and operated organizations from two people to 250. He was a vice president of Firefox at Mozilla during a period of an intense turmoil inside Mozilla and uh, in the web at large. And he helped build and launch the first Firefox offerings on Android and the Apple operating system. And after he joined uh, Mozilla, after Mozilla, he joined Hubba as their chief product officer. He helped that team triple in size while improving their diversity stats, and he's proud to sit on the board of Creative Commons, and he's a big believer in the power of mission-based organizations. Melissa has been a startup warrior since the beginning of the dot-com boom, and she's held senior leadership roles in marketing, PR strategy, several fast-paced startups, and um, she moved to Toronto after more than a decade of working in senior tech roles in Silicon Valley and um, she's a frequent speaker on industry events in the tech area and also around leadership and entrepreneurship and women in tech. And this book, How f Up Is Your Management? I love the title, An Uncomfortable Conversation About Modern Leadership. And it's fun we talk about this because it hits a lot of the, the straight points or the salient points we've talked about here on the show, and it really tackles the massive gap uh, that exists in modern leadership and that you've heard me talk about here on the show some of the things in this book and some of the things that we glean in this interview is like um how you know why you don't want to have superheroes on your team you've heard me talk about how leadership seems to gravitate towards a larger than life where we think we need to be the larger than life superhero figure on the team but uh melissa and jonathan point out that you don't want superheroes on your team and you definitely don't want to be one yourself what to do when things fall apart, how to manage employees up, and when to manage them out. We talk about all of this on the show, and I was so excited and grateful to have them on the show. Hey, thank you for your support. This show continues to grow by leaps and bounds, and I'm picking up a brand new sponsor today. And uh, I've been putting on sponsorship for quite some time because I'm trying to find the right fit. And i got to tell you, I'm excited to finally align forces with FreshBooks, Um Many of you have listened to my show, have known my journey. This show is almost five years old. I still work for the airlines, full time job, but I my side hustle and entrepreneurship is this show and my consulting and speaking business in terms of leadership and coaching. And I got to tell you, FreshBooks has really come at a great time in my life, and I'm excited to bring them on as a sponsor because I use them to help in my entrepreneurship journey. and If you stay tuned halfway through the show, I'll talk about a special deal that we've put together with FreshBooks. And I got to tell you, they make it ridiculously easy. If you're an entrepreneur like myself, or you're a freelancer, or you've got a side hustle, they make it easy with their accounting software. It's completely transformed how I do business, and it has saved me a ton of time. They've redesigned their program, their cloud accounting software, from the ground up, and they've custom built it exactly the way I do business. And I'll share more with you at the middle of this interview. So stay tuned. We got a special offer again, free 30 day trial for a Dose of Leadership listeners. Stay tuned and I'll talk to you more about that in the middle of the show. In the meantime, thank you for being a fan of the show. Here's the great interview with John and Melissa Nightingale from Raw Signal Group and the authors of How Effed Up Is Your Management? An Uncomfortable Conversation about Modern Leadership here on Dose of Leadership. Well, Melissa and Jonathan, I'm so excited to have you on the show. Welcome to Dose of Leadership.
2: Thanks, Richard. We're excited to be here. Thank you very much. You know,
1: I love the title of the book. Um, when does it come out? I haven't read this, but I'm so dying to get this into my hands. This, this interview came and over the weekend, and I was like, I got to get these guys on the show. When does the book come out?
2: It's perfect timing. The book comes out tomorrow.
1: Awesome. October 3rd, right, as, as we're recording this. Is that correct? That's right. Very exciting. So let me tell you that... Um, when I was reading your blog post and I'm looking at the the kind of the promo for the book, I'm like, man, these guys are speaking my language. How did you guys kind of fall into leadership? I mean, why has it become so critical uh, in your journey?
0: I like that your language involves the swearing on the cover of the book. That's great. <laughs> right. <laughs> You know, both of us came from tech, and I'll, I'll let Melissa tell her story, but, but mine was that I'd been an engineer. I, I worked at IBM first, and, and then I moved to Mozilla just as Firefox was was really gaining a lot of ground in the world. And my first management job happened because uh, they needed more managers. You know, we were growing, and I was one of the engineers that I guess my teammate respected, and, and so they said, well, why don't you, why don't you take over management? And that was about it as far as training, right? That was about it in terms of here's what to anticipate and and here's where you're going to run into trouble and stuff. And, and that's rough. And when we talk to other people, uh, you know, in our world, we see a lot of the same thing. A lot of people getting pulled up into management roles and said, Hey, you were, you were really good at your individual work. So we're going to give you a team, even though running a team is totally different, Uh, different skills, different way you got to show up at work, Different way you can sort of pal around with the people you're working with um, and and nobody really walking them through how to approach that change. And That's a lot of a lot of why we write the blog post and a lot of why we wrote the book is just to, to talk to that version of ourselves.
1: Yeah, you said something, you know, which is so critical to, to I see the biggest problems in. Uh, and why leadership is, is so misunderstood is, is we think that the technical or te- tactical aspects of what made us successful is what's going to carry us across the finish line. But the skill set, as you're pointing out, to be the best whatever, the best programmer, the best salesperson, the best accountant, the sk- that skill set to be the best at whatever is completely different than the skill set of leadership. And that skill set of leadership is never really taught.
2: And it's why a lot of our folks that where we take ambitious people who have been exceptional in their individual work and put them into management work, it's why they fail in that context, because not because they they lack ambition or they lack the drive to be good at these things. It's because it is a fundamentally different skill set. And one of the things that happens is you take your best engineer or your best marketer and you put them in charge of another group of people. And suddenly they're failing, right? They're not. Right. They're not succeeding. The skill set that made them successful is very different.
1: And I think that's where a lot of that dis- dysfunction comes in when we talk about some of these. Those these, I, I basically whittled them down to t- ten things. But the number one thing is, you know, that the senior leadership is is not emulating the leadership they want in everybody else. But it's not because they don't want to. It's because they don't know how. I think, right? I mean, I think everybody. But they just fall back on what they know, right? Well, I've been a hustler. I've been, uh, you know, working hard, knows the grindstone. And but this is where you get kind of that that kind of megalomaniac boss, particularly in startups, I would imagine, where they think you just hit people over the head with wiffle ball bats and to get out to produce output, right?
2: I think one of the one of the sort of early manager traps that we see pretty regularly is the idea that, well, I I just like managing people like me, right? I'm a really charger. And so I'm only going to hire a team of hard chargers. I'm going to hire a team sort of in my own image and then wonder why those folks have major gaps in their ability to one, work as a team or two, deliver results. And I think it's a very easy early stage manager idea that you're just going to build a team of people who look and act just like you and hope that, you know, you hope for the best.
0: And, you know, I think you, you pointed to something right on there, which is that uh, most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, this is not down to malice, right? These people aren't trying to right. be harmful or dictatorial or whatever. This is down to ignorance. Like the senior leadership, a lot of the time, nobody teaches them either. And and in a lot of contexts, if you're a CEO or you're, a, you're an entrepreneur, you're a founder of a company, um, there aren't a lot of people you can talk to about this. You're bored. Right might say that they want you to bring problems to them, but your board is also the one, particularly, you know, in some of the startups that we work with, uh, that's deciding whether to to back your next investment round or not. And so they may say, oh, it's really great that you brought that issue to us. Thanks a lot. And then as soon as you leave the room, maybe they have a conversation about whether you're really fit to take this company as, as gigantic as it needs to go. You know, we've, we've had these conversations with founders where they bring us in and say, hey, can you can you help our managers level up? Can you give them some of the, some of the stuff that's in the book, give them a basic foundation. And we start to describe what that is. And then they, they change their tune and they say, well, I want to sit in on that because, because nobody ever taught me that either.
1: Right. What are some of those things that I love what you're saying, but what, what are some of those skills these uh, founders are looking for in their kind of mid-level and below?
2: I think a lot of the time the the idea of getting a group of, and this sounds so basic and so fundamental, but the idea of getting a group of people aligned around common objectives and getting them to feel like they've got accountability and skin in the game and that they're marching towards that set of objectives and going to be measured as a group in terms of how they achieve those objectives, that feels out of reach for many leaders today.
0: Yeah. You know, I think some of it, is, it is really basic. It's like, how does a one-on-one work? How do I manage people? How do I keep them motivated? How do I set goals, right? And then it plays through into bigger stuff. Like, you know, there's a lot of conversation uh, in management today about how do I build more diverse teams as we grow? And and that's not a skill you get to bolt on the side of. That's really something that's got to infuse everything about how you run your business. And, and in, in many of these cases, nobody's ever sat down and, and walked them through that and said like, Here's a framework for how to think about it. You know, you're going to fill in the details with whatever makes sense for your organization and your style as a leadership, uh, as a leader. But, um, but you know, you're not making it all up as you go. There are some systems for this stuff.
1: Right. I, I, what you said right there, both of you just said, it just really resonates deeply with me. And I think you're right. It goes back to the basics. And I think a lot of times when you see these individuals that are at this kind of critical pivot point you know, am I going to grow or am I going to stagnate and, and, and kind of wither away is, you know, they're so used to doing it by themselves, but you're right. If you want to get the people to kind of feel like, to me, I think it's, you got to get the folks to feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves. And a, a lot of times that seems overwhelming to leaders, but to me, it's like, look, you need to shift away from trying to try to do everything, but you need to man- maniacally, and I don't use that word lightly, maniacally focus on what it is you want to accomplish and why. And I think to your point, when you when you start bringing people into the larger picture of what you're trying to accomplish, and that take, that's easier said than done. I mean, that takes a tremendous amount of effort and work, sometimes sitting down one-on-one, showing them why they're important, what you want them to accomplish, and basically define the sandbox for them is, is what I'm getting at, and make that yeah. sandbox as big as possible, and then turn them loose. I mean, that's, I think, is how you get people to be engaged and and empowered. What are your thoughts?
2: I think absolutely. Uh, I think one of the things that we see, especially in tech organizations where many times your leaders are people who were peers before they were promoted into management, the idea of delegating work or of asking or of having a perspective on what is the work that needs to be done most urgently can feel overly stuffy and fussy. Mm -hmm. And so even the, the sort of basic version that you're describing of how do you get folks excited about sort of doing work together um can feel a little bit off limits or a little bit daunting in terms of how do you how do you go from being sort of one of the guys or one of the gals to not being able to necessarily drink beers with your buddies after work but being the person who is responsible for whether the work gets done or not
0: i'd say the the thing that i would add is that when you get to the most senior levels when you're dealing with ceos and stuff we We find they're often surprised, you know, I think the uncharitable version is they're surprised that their employees can't read their mind, right? Right. And I think the more charitable version is they're surprised how many times they've got to tell the story, how many different ways they've got to sort of spell out, like, here's what we're trying to do and here's why it matters. And it's not just the posters that you hang on the wall with your mission statement, It's, it's how you live it in every meeting and in every conversation with investors and 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 every conversation with your staff, right? That we often push on this idea that if you want your team really aligned, if they're doing something hard, they all need to be pointed the same direction. And you hired them because they're creative, intelligent, generative, energetic people. Well, then you, you shouldn't be so surprised that, that they've got a lot of energy. And if you're not steering it, it's going to go in all kinds of different directions.
1: Have you guys received any um, pushback? I know over the Past 16 years that I've kind of been pushing um what you're talking about here, I've met a lot of resistance um in some circles. Uh, and some of the things I've heard were we don't have time for that. Yeah, that sounds well, um, but we just don't have time for um this kind of uh, touchy feel he's been thrown out there before. Um, you know, we got to this point, not because we were taking the time to listening, we got this. To this point, because we were drivers, and I need more drivers, I need more Type As, I need more A players. All these kind of cliches that you hear. What are your thoughts, and what is your experience and history of kind of the pushback that you get by some of these senior leaders, some of these, particularly these larger charismatic ones I, that you see a lot in the tech tech field?
0: You know, it's uh, it's funny. I'll, I'll tell you a story. Um, in the last of my time at Mozilla, I had a, a mentor that I was working with, and and he was pushing me to, to think about, you know, what did I, what did I stand for publicly? Not just what did I do inside of Mozilla with my team and and with the organization as a whole, but where was I publicly, where was I given giving talks about stuff, right? That I had to find a thing that I really cared about. And I said, you know, that's a really good point. And, and I feel like this is, you know, several years ago, I feel like a lot of people get a lot of this management stuff wrong and it's, it's tragic and, and they could be so much better at it. And he sort of, stopped and there was silence in the room for a second and he said oh don't talk about that (laughs) he said like that's not you know you're running the the firefox organization talk about product talk about you know hiring the best engineers don't don't talk about management stuff nobody wants to hear about that like i think a lot of the time you're totally right it gets dismissed because it's touchy-feely and a lot of the time it gets dismissed because it's boring Mm -hmm. like it's it's more exciting for a lot of people to think of some, some new strategy that it's going to be impossible for their competitors to keep up with. Right. I, I get it. That makes for a fun blog post, but the the truth is, and, and I think my answer when I hear that is, what we're talking about here is operational excellence. What we're talking about is building like a, a world-class organization and that that has so much more impact, right? If yeah. you're, if you're actually here as a, as a grown up trying to build something that's gonna, gonna show up in the world, this is, this is the stuff you've got to get right. It, you know, you're, it's not my line, but culture eats strategy for breakfast. Right. Right.
1: right. Well, and you, you, to your point, it's not, and I think you, you write about this in one of your, your posts, the one, um, it's uh let's talk about your plan to be run a consequence-free company where you talk about decency debt. You know, the debt's gonna get paid at some point. And you're right. And I think that the the challenging thing about leadership is is the results aren't immediate. You may not even see the results sometimes for years, if not decades. Um, and it does demand a tremendous amount of sacrifice. And when you're running at breakneck speed and and well, I mean, Uber's a perfect example, right? I mean, how how have they been so apparently successful then all of a sudden it just seemed like if you were a non-observer or haven't been following that closely and you haven't worked in the field it just came crashing down seemingly in one fell swoop now i would probably argue that that debt had been building for years because they didn't have a, a sustainable leadership culture what are your thoughts
2: yeah i would absolutely agree that that what from the outside can seem like overnight success or overnight failure typically it's not overnight for the folks who are living it and in the case of uber Um, I think it's really apparent, you know, hearing stories from folks who have been living it and breathing it and Working within that culture that there were a lot of missteps along the way, right? That this wasn't sort of one executive making one poor decision This was a sort of coordination of a team of executives and and a management culture making a series of poor decisions on an ongoing basis
0: Yeah, and it's also interesting to see how we keep score, right? Like even when uber was succeeding we were keeping score because the valuation kept going up.
1: Right. Right. But
0: back then people were talking about being harassed. They were talking about like only certain people have a good experience at Uber. They were talking about, you know, drivers feeling really abused by it. Like those, those conversations were out there. It just wasn't how we were keeping score until it got big enough that the guy had his company yanked out from under him. Right. And, and that debt got called and, and I think it's maybe a good sign for humanity that it did. But we also have to ask, you know, how we're keeping score in the meantime.
1: Yeah,
2: I think one of the things that we find most interesting is that we read the holder report that came out from Uber. and uh, we read it, you know, we were paying close attention, I think, along with everybody else in technology and particularly in senior levels in tech. And one of the things that struck us was that the the holder report recommendations for Uber were so. Dead simple, right? Right. So
1: basic, yeah. Mm -hmm.
2: Think about what management means in your context. Have a manager management culture that you hold accountable. It it just it all seemed very very simple. But I think the the part that we come back to is this stuff isn't it's not rocket science, but it is something that you have to pay attention to. And I I would touch back on sort of your question on like management as a thing where where you're not necessarily able to see that investment pay off immediately. And I think one of the things that we notice is that often the problems that organizations face are management challenges, but they're ascribed to other things. I can't get my team to deliver on on time, right? My marketing department and my sales team are fighting and they can't get stuff. There, right. Like There are all of these problems within organizations that we're very quick to say, well, that's a marketing problem. That's a sales problem. That's a product problem. We verticalize the problems of management, but they're really horizontal issues.
1: Hey, we're about halfway through this great conversation with Jonathan and Melissa Nightingale. And I wanted to take a time to introduce my brand new partner here at Dose of Leadership, FreshBooks. They've come along in my entrepreneurial journey at just the right time. You know, if you listen to the show, I've been doing this podcast for almost five years. I've been an entrepreneur for almost eight to nine years. And I got to tell you, this FreshBooks is has come along and helped me become more productive and more effective in ways I didn't think was even imaginable. If you're like me, you're constantly racing against the clock. Look, I have a full-time job as an airline pilot, a father of four daughters, a husband, and I'm managing this podcast and all my coaching clients and my speaking gigs. My life is busy. But FreshBooks reminds me that even though the challenge, it is challenging, it's certainly well worth it. The working world has changed and you've heard me talk about this on the show that I think and I contend that this is probably the best time to be alive if you want to be an entrepreneur, if you want to be self-employed, if you want to have a side hustle. FreshBooks completely understands that mindset and they're ex- I'm excited to announce that they've launched an all-new version of their cloud accounting software and it has made my life extremely simple. It's been redesigned from the ground up. It's custom built exactly the way that I work, the way that you work. And it's really the simplest way to be more productive, more organized, and most importantly, get paid quickly. And the all-new FreshBooks is ridiculously easy to use. It's packed full of powerful features. For example, you can create and send professional-looking invoices with your brand in less than 30 seconds, set up online payments with just a couple clicks, and you can get to paid up to four days faster, a feature I absolutely love. You can also see when your client has seen your invoice, and you can put an end to all those guessing games. FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to all of you, my listeners out there. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com slash dose and enter Dose of Leadership and How Did You Hear About Us section. FreshBooks, a proud sponsor of Dose of Leadership. So happy to have them on board. All right, back to the interview. The Great conversation with Jonathan and Melissa Nightingale. I'm curious why you think it's so difficult to put into place given the fact that maybe we haven't been exposed to it, but why do you think it's so difficult to implement, say, um, a decentralized decision-making culture where you push decision-making to the lowest level? Why is it so difficult to set the example? Why is it so difficult to do the right thing even when no one's looking? These are basic things. Why is it difficult?
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot in there, right? I mean, I think when I was running the Firefox organization, we were really proud of pushing decisions out to the edges, right? That, you know, Mozilla was an open source project. So we had computers from all over the world that weren't even paid. Um, There's a gotcha though, right? That we would push those decisions out. And as leaders, um, if we didn't hold ourselves to it, we would also push out everything around those decisions, right? Who was consulted in those decisions, how they were communicated, how conflicts were resolved, right? That stuff all got pushed out too. And so in our case, it ended up with this, you know, mostly online culture of feeling pretty free to attack somebody who disagreed with you because, you know, it was just in the pursuit of intellectual excellence or whatever. And um, we as leadership at the time, really needed to step in more and say, hey, we've got some values here. We've got some norms here around what's considered acceptable and what isn't. And um, and we hadn't anticipated that up front. We sort of figured that those were shared values and, and that stomping around with an executive title and, and shutting down conversation um, wasn't the kind of decentralized we wanted to be. And we were pretty late to realize, uh, I think because, you know, we hadn't been taught, we hadn't pushed ourselves to do it. That, that no, we we had a voice as leaders that we needed to show up with there, right? But I think the other thing I'd say is uh, anybody who's ever started a business knows there's, there's 5,000 things happening at once, right? And it doesn't matter that you're the CEO. You've got a bunch of people you've got to please. You've got your employees. You've got your direct staff. You've got the candidates you're trying to recruit, your investors, your partners, you um, you're, you're surrounded by people you're trying to make happy and they've got a set of needs that they're putting out there. You know, your growth numbers, the salary they want, whatever it is. Um, it's rare that those people are pushing you to connect with your own, you know, moral compass, to connect with your own sense of who you are as a leader. Right. That's something you've got to sort of shut out the noise for a second and listen to. And it's, you won't be punished for following that moral compass most of the time, right? People are like, oh, that's great. He also has integrity. What a, what <laughs> a nice, you know, give him a LinkedIn endorsement for that too, right? But it's, <laughs> right. Not, it's not the stuff they, they're prioritizing. They're not saying like, come back in three months and I want to see, you know, your growth numbers and your geo distribution of active customers and, you know, five moral decisions you've made. Right, that that last one's on you as a leader, and and it it does take some maturity to to listen to that voice.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're hitting it on the head. I mean, the reason why it's so difficult is because we're human beings. I mean, if you want to put it that way, and mm-hmm. to the, to the external pressures, particularly for startups and, and small businesses or any business, but I mean, particularly when you're in that kind of rapid growth phase that we've seen uh, in this tech industry the last fifteen to twenty years. But yeah. It's because we're human beings and it takes a tremendous amount of, to your point, intentionality uh, to be authentic, to be courageous with yourself that no one really, really sees. And that's a lot of that's a lot of gritty work that you got to do by yourself. And it can be lonely, too. Right. Because it's like, where do I go and where do I turn?
2: Yeah, there's a reason the subtitle of the book is an uncomfortable conversation about modern leadership. Right. Like it is uncomfortable. The work that's required there is you've got to dig in. Yeah,
0: so many of the the chapters in the book have this, this similar format where we'll, we'll put something out there that we think is a, a pretty normal scenario for a leader to be in. Um, and then, you know, you sort of get your attention halfway through and say, now, like, what are you as a leader going to do about that, right? How how did you make these trade-offs and end up in this spot? Because it's, you know, it's one thing for us or anyone else to shake a finger at Uber, Um but it's it's a complex space right and mm. and you ask yourself as a leader what would you do differently there where would you draw different lines and would you be willing to say no this is not okay you're out to one of your top performers because they violated something that you know you had on a poster somewhere as a value that your company believed in right. like that's that's where it shows up i don't want to moralize too much. But I do think, you know, leaders need a sense of what they stand for.
1: Well, I think to, I was going to say that I think isn't that to, I th- would contend that is probably the most important thing that a senior leader can do is to communicate. Well, f- understand what it is you stand for and then communicate. <clears throat> and I go back to that word maniacally. You cannot over communicate what it is you stand for and, and why you're doing what you're doing. You can't if you it's impossible to over communicate that.
2: Absolutely. And if your values aren't showing up within your decision-making and your team can't see that, if you just have values that you sort of wrote down and put in a binder somewhere, that's one thing. But if you're living and breathing them every day as part of your organization, and they're showing up in how you have conversations about the strategic trade-offs that you're making, if they're showing up in performance discussions around, hey, when you showed up this way, we actually needed you to show up this way instead, then I think you you start to have at least that repetition that people need to be able to, to understand sort of where you're coming from on those things.
0: And, you know, Richard, uh, just to make a leader's life more complicated, I would say I agree with everything you and Melissa just said, that that's fundamental to being a leader is, is showing up and being really clear what you stand for. And you still somehow need to be able to listen when someone tells you you're screwing up.
1: Absolutely.
0: And that's really hard, right? Mm -hmm. Like, especially as the conversations around diversity and inclusion change in in a modern context, a lot of leaders who felt like they were on the right side of history on this stuff um, are having those beliefs challenged and saying, oh, where where should I be doing more? And it's so easy to get defensive about it because you just spent all this time pouring cement around your values and reinforcing them.
1: Man, that is such a great point. You're absolutely right. Is it having that willingness... Uh, Again, the sweet spot, and I've said this on the show so many times, the sweet spot is having that intensity of will coupled with this intense, teachable, humble spirit, right? It's that humility and that intensity combined together, which few of us rarely reach. But I think that's the ideal that we should be striving for. And that demands that you do, yeah, put that intensity into outcomes. But having that willingness to stop and slow down and listen it's kind of like when I fly planes, I tell people that if I'm flying with somebody new, I always end my briefing with, it's not your right to challenge me, it's your obligation, there you go. right? Yeah. And so you, you got to have, no matter how, whatever's going on, however intense or, or mediocre or boring it is at the moment, you have to have the willingness. Number one, if <clears throat> you're not, be willing to speak up and challenge, and then if you're the recipient, you got to be willing to respectively Respond to it, you know, and if that means pivoting and changing course, because the junior man or woman on the totem pole told you you're about to crash in the mountain, you better listen. Right. Having yeah, that I willingness.
0: That's exactly right. And and easier to describe than to do.
1: Yeah. <laughs> right? Just, leadership is so messy. I mean, even just sitting there talking about it and it's just it, it just it's so great. It, I think it's important. My takeaway from what you guys have said here in the last five to ten minutes is that. It's always, it's important to understand, it's it's always going to cost you something. And it's gonna cost you and the things that the price that it paid are are pretty big things, like your freedoms, your 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 rights, you know. The spotlight gets bigger on you. Um, it never goes away. You always have to be on. Um, it costs you your time, a tremendous amount of time. Yeah. And yeah and you literally are laying, you know, sacrificing your life so that others may grow right and
0: you don't get credit for it if right you're doing it really well right then a lot of this is going to be behind the scenes yeah sometimes you get you know the the video of the the lieutenant general um being really clear about what is and isn't acceptable at the air force academy like sometimes that happens and and, and your leadership is really visible and a lot of the time your leadership is you know getting out of the way to let one of your your junior leaders step into the into their own. Right. Or it's pulling someone aside quietly and saying, Hey, that's not how we do things here. And, and no one's throwing you a parade for that. Um, but you get to remain in an integrity with yourself and your values. And, and that counts for something.
1: Well, and I, and I, you're right. And I agree. I think that the only way that you can truly experience what I call resurrection power or, or significance as you kind of get near the end of the finish line in in your life, when you can look back, I mean, you may not get the accolade or the or the cover of the of whatever magazine or but it, but it, you you get to experience the significance that comes with the true kind of resurrection power, I guess, with that sacrifice. Does that make sense? The, in, and I don't know I like that I like that term resurrection power because it it leads to significance in business and in life. and that's why leadership is so critical, I believe. What are your thoughts when you hear that?
2: I mean, I feel like leadership is, is really the sum of 600 micro decisions that you're making at any given moment, right? It's the idea that you're walking through the world and you've got a team of people who are depending on you, not only the people who report into you, but also your peers within that management core. And so you, you, you walk a little bit differently, right? You can't sort of walk into a meeting and say, okay, well, I think that's, you know, I think that's stupid. We shouldn't do it, right? Which can be sort of an easy, instant reaction. I think. Where we see managers and leaders evolve and really show up is in that, that sort of awareness of the, the microscope of leadership, right? Where they know that they, they carry a little bit more weight in terms of their decisions, in terms of how they walk into a room and walk through the office. And it's, it's, it can feel like a burden, but there's an opportunity there, especially if you've got a team of folks who are really looking for someone to, to sort of step into it. Um, there's a really amazing opportunity when it works
1: which lends to the point, well said, which lends to the point that, you know, leadership is a personal decision that should not be entered into lightly, which I think. And
2: many folks feel like it's the, it's the only path for promotion, right? They feel like, well, the next natural step in their career is to move into management. And I think we we do, we really underserve those early managers by not explaining that it's a different job.
1: Yeah. And trying to equate, you know, the management and the and, and, and leadership are completely different animals. And not in the textbook sense, but I think to to get into that kind of grittier, higher calling um sense that you're talking about here. But why I'm curious in your your book and what your thoughts on, I'm anxious to read this, but the part where you talk about why you don't want superheroes on your team and you definitely don't want to be one, elaborate on that for me. Because I think it's it's centered or central to what we're talking about here.
2: So Richard, I would say for, for me personally, I really found a lot of identity in early stage startup. I love the, the sort of pace of it. Right. I love the opportunity to do different things and get my hands dirty on all sides of the business. It was an incredible, incredible learning curve. Um, and it was it was great when I was sort of in my early 20s and I had all the energy in the world. Um, I loved sort of throwing myself into the deep end of working with these sort of early stage tech companies. And what I found was that it, it became really difficult to sort of just like draw the line between where my identity as Melissa started and where my identity as Melissa who works in startups and doesn't go home until three o'clock in the morning stopped. And I found that I was not doing my best work in that environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and not only was I not doing my, my best work, but as a leader in that, in that context, you're not making any space for anybody else to do their best work either. Um, if you have a, a superhero culture, you end up with a lot of individuals sort of running for, running for glory, but not running for team glory. And I think the role of a manager is fundamentally to make their team more effective. And if you have a whole bunch of sort of individuals running in all different directions, you probably haven't achieved sort of your, your primary goal, which is to make that team an effective team.
1: Yeah, and it goes back to the kind of myth I think of leadership of that that to be um, effective in business and in life that you have to be a superhero or a larger than life figure, right? And uh-huh. um, I haven't I never thought about it in that context, but you're absolutely right that if you've got a bunch of superheroes or people trying to be superheroes in the superhero culture, you, you're not really getting things done collectively, right? You got a lot of individual. Intensity going on
2: team performance should always outperform individual performance So I think one of the things that we see that's pretty common for new managers is they say well I can just do it myself. I'll just do it myself I Know that this person's struggling with this area of the work and rather than take the time to either mentor or coach them through it I as someone who has done that work and been successful doing that work I'm just gonna roll up my sleeves and do it and there are times where that may be the right answer uh, but generally, it means you, you're taking a growth opportunity away from somebody else. It means that that person didn't have the opportunity to get better at, at learning sort of that set of skills or deploying that set of skills in the workplace. And so for me as a boss, as someone who, who does tend to go to, to the heroics, um, I've had to work really hard as a leader to say, you know what, that's not the right way to lead a team of people. That may be, that may be a sort of individual instinct, but it isn't, it isn't leadership.
0: You know, and it, it feels good, right? It, it feels good to be the hero who comes in and saves something, right? And mm-hmm. and even if we don't want to admit it, sometimes it feels good to do that when the thing you're saving it from is is the people on your team, right? When they screwed it up and you came in at the eleventh hour and rewrote it and now it's better. That's that's ego messing with your head, though, right? And right. you know my my background's in in cognitive science, um, and. Uh, we used to study a bunch of this stuff. We know, and, and there's lots of data out there. We know that when you're working 100-hour work weeks, you're not making good decisions, right? But right. one of the ways that shows up is that the first thing you lose is your ability to assess how good your decisions are, right? And so it, it really, uh, it's a trap. The, the more you you start working, the less ability you have to see that you're screwing it up, that you're you're breaking a bunch of stuff on Saturday at three in the morning that your team has to fix at 10 a.m. on Monday. And that's why they're slow meeting their own deadlines, right? Yeah. You just can't see it. You don't put those pieces together because it requires this ability to step outside of yourself and, and see what's happening. And you lose that when you don't have any sleep.
1: Well said. That, I mean, that makes perfect sense. I think Going back to your point, I think this is why you see so much uh, burnout in managers and in, in particularly leaders because they think, and it does. You're right. And when you first get that role in that in that that additional accountability and the additional pay raise and maybe the nicer office and the parking space, <clears throat> and, we, and we start solving everybody's problems because we we think that's what the role is. We need to be the one of the answers. And you're right. It does kind of stroke the ego when when you come in at the eleventh hour and save the day, but it's not sustainable. At some point, those those debts are going to be paid. And you're going to crash and burn, and it's going to burn you out. And when you've crashed and burned, then you've just set everything back, right? And so I think that how do you find, to Melissa, to your point, how do you get that young and -and up-and-coming manager and leader to understand that taking the time and the effort to sit down and and teach a man to fish is so much more beneficial? I think intuitively, instinctively know that, but the pressures of the real world – you know, deadlines and whatever, and the boss above me screaming, wondering why it isn't getting done. How do you convince somebody to take that time to be a teacher scholar instead of a a driver boss?
2: Absolutely. I mean, one of the things that we come back to a lot is that common sense is not common in this, in this instance, right? It's why we sat down and wrote down everything that was hard when we were first starting out, because this stuff isn't obvious. And so when I'm talking to new managers, and saying, you know, I, I understand the appeal, I absolutely do, of just getting it done in the moment, but you're, you're making, you're getting your short-term gain, but it's at the expense of your long-term gain. And your long-term gain, it, the investment in your people is what your whole job is as a manager. And yeah. so that can feel it can feel good it can feel like the right call in the moment and again a lot of the the reasons we see management go sideways is that what feels like the right decision in the moment is just made for the the short term win and then it's at the expense of sort of the the long term win of building a really amazing sustainable effective team.
0: Yeah, I've I've had new managers push back on me when I when I talk about, you know, bringing your team up and, and helping them do more of this stuff and and had them say some version of you know, it's not summer camp. Like this isn't, they're not here just to skill build. We've got stuff to do. Right. right, right. And, and if I can get that stuff done, isn't that better? And I've, I've had to say, no, it isn't summer camp. That's exactly right. And you've misunderstood how you're being scored. You're not being scored by how many of these things you produce in a week, right? You're being scored by how effective your team is. And I see a pattern here that means like your team's not going to be growing. Your team's not going to be getting promotions. They're not going to be taking on new categories of work. I'm not going to be able to promote you because you're down in the weeds doing work they should do. Like, you're failing at this job while you're patting yourself on the back for your 11th hour rewrite. And yes, I want you to own the output of your team. And yes, sometimes that means you got to remember what it is to be an individual practitioner. But if I see that as a habit, then you must be neglecting your actual job, which is lifting up this group of, you know, three or six or... 10 people and making them more effective. There's no way you can eclipse the the productivity of all 10 of them. I've I've never had appetite for the 10 X engineer language that people use. I, I feel like that's, that's language you would use to describe a productive contributor if you'd never seen what a well-run team looked like.
1: Exactly. And and the more that you insert yourself lower and lower into the organization, dispensing the efforts of those that should be doing the work, you're just creating a mediocre, stagnant, and eventually a dead organization. And instead, you want that smart organization where you got people... That are producing and making decisions, asking for forgiveness instead of permission, permission. And that's how you create growth. And that's that leadership culture. And going back to your point, too, I'd say going back to why it's so important to have those living the understand what you really stand for, because those are opportunities that young managers and leaders can sit there and say, look, this is what we stand for. And this is what we're trying to accomplish. You know, you can throw that up against there as a litmus test. And you're not living that when you're when you're taking on all these tasks yourself. Anyway, Melissa, you're going to say something. Uh, no, yeah, I think you got it. <laughs> yeah, oh, I love what you guys are doing, and I, I'm so excited. I'm gonna order this book today. How effed up is your management? Um, I think this this speaks to the dose of leadership tribe. I mean, if you're looking at some of the, you know, we've talked about how it's hard work, it's gritty. Um, you know, how do you looking at some of the bullets here on Amazon? How to interview better, hire smarter, and grow. Uh, how to build a non-toxic workplace culture and a diverse team. How to manage an employee up and when to manage them out. All this stuff um, is stuff I eat up, and I'm excited to uh, to see this come out. I'm excited to see uh, what the reviews are going to say. Um, how can people get in touch with you, learn more about what you guys do in your company, and uh, get into get a hold of the book?
0: I love that question. Um- <laughs> So when Melissa and I are not writing books, uh, we run a a group called Raw Signal Group. Uh, We're based in Canada. So the website is rawsignal.ca. You can find us both there. And and through that group, we work with companies of various sizes. Um, You know, our tagline is we build better bosses, right? We go in and we'll work one-on-one with executives or we'll work with whole management teams and just you know, give them a space where they can start to do some of this thinking and, and have these conversations. Uh, it's it's never too late to start. I think Melissa's point is exactly right. Leadership's not you don't get hit with a magic leadership stick. It's it's 600 of these decisions that accumulate over over months and years. To your point, um, yeah, you can you can start making better decisions today. As for the book, you can find that everywhere. It's available in print and digital uh, on sale October 3rd. Um, if if you can't remember the title or can't bring yourself to type it into a search engine.
1: <laughs> How can you not remember this title? <laughs> How effed up is your better? Yeah.
0: That's right. You can always just, uh, if you go to HFU which are the initials of the title, HFU IYM.com, that'll take you right to the Amazon page that makes Love sense it. for you live in the world.
1: Love it. Melissa, any last thoughts?
2: Uh, just thank you so much for having us, Richard. This is uh, sort of right up our alley in terms of the today's discussion. So thank you.
1: Yeah, you guys are the best. I mean, I'm so glad to have to, to met you. I'm honored to have you in the Dose of Leadership tribe, and I look forward to staying in touch and having a, a future conversation. There's so many things we can explore, so you're always welcome back here in Dose of Leadership. Thanks for coming on the show.
2: Thank thanks you so Richard.
1: much. Hey, thanks for tuning into the show. Go to richardryerson.com or doseofleadership.com and fill out the contact page and reach out to me. Let me know where you're at your leadership journey. Also, if you want access to my brand new online leadership course to help become a better leader, go to LegacyLeaderBlueprint.com. Fill out your email and you gain access to a free 12-minute video that will reveal the top secrets of leadership and also show you how you can gain access, exclusive access, to my online leadership course. That's LegacyLeaderBlueprint.com. Hope to see you on the inside. Thanks for tuning into the show.